0: Bonnie Estes your host for fresh takes on tech this season we are focusing on nutrition and the various ways produce plays an important role today we are speaking to Tom Adams CEO of pairwise it's great to have you on the show and thank you so much for the sponsorship of this season
1: great thanks Bonnie thanks for having me on
0: let's start with talking about the mission at pairwise what's your
1: mission yeah maybe just to take a, a little bit of a step back you know when we were setting up pairwise and And really thinking about the opportunities that genetics has in 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 agriculture and in food, you know, looking broadly, there's lots and lots of companies that are talking about how to make enough food for for 10 billion people in 2050, and then they turn all of their effort to um, producing more corn and soybean. And we thought maybe there's a little bit of a different problem. Was it's not just about having enough calories; it's enough about having the right calories and the right nutritious calories. So we started really exploring other types of problems and. And we really began to focus at, at some point on the fact that even though we talk about nutrition all the time and eating fruits and vegetables, still in America, it's about 10% of people that eat their fruits and vegetables. So we started to really work on that concept. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about some of the products we're working on, but really getting at the idea that we could use technology to take down barriers that people have eating fruits and vegetables. So that's really our mission is to to make a healthier world by creating better fruits and vegetables.
0: So there's been very little innovation in the produce aisle over the years. Uh, When you walk down the produce aisle, it kind of looks the same as it did when I remember seeing the produce aisle growing up. What role can innovation play in produce and how can it drive consumption? What are some examples that you've seen and thought about?
1: Yeah, I, I th- and that sort of relates into how we got into what we're what we're trying to do. But I think if you look broadly, I actually like to think that there has been some really interesting innovation in the in the produce aisle. It's just when you're comparing it to to the snack food aisle, it's not nearly as much. But there there have been some really really great innovations. And you know, if you think about um, you know certainly in salads, it's changed a lot since I was a kid. But if you look recently, the you know the easy peel mandarin and um, getting these seedless mandarins that but citrus was sort of a shrinking space. It was people weren't buying oranges as much. And then suddenly the easy peel Mandarin comes out in the, or 2013-ish. And now it's the number one thing in citrus. It's in every kid's lunch. It's a really popular product. So a lot more kids are eating eating a piece of fruit at lunch than they were before. I think um, now that's one example is making it more convenient. The, the other example, uh, just to give two, is making things more available. I think... Um, not that long ago that you couldn't get a blueberry every day, a fresh blueberry. And of course, breeding started on that problem in probably the 1940s. And in the early 2000s, we finally had varieties that could be grown in different different regions and um, and ship well, so that you could have blueberries in the store every day. And that that quadrupled the consumption of blueberries after that after that happened. So. You know, you make things available, it becomes part of people's life, and they start eating more of it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Blueberries are my favorite breeding success story, you know, because it is amazing. It's just the the breeding that got done on that to be able to increase where we could grow them. So all of a sudden, now they're available.
1: That's the sort of thing that with technology today, rather than being a 60-year story, you could turn into a, you know, 15-year story, maybe 10 or 15-year story.
0: I know that access and increasing consumption of fresh fruits and vegetables is important to you and, and one of the missions of PearWides, as you've said. What ways can we make fresh food more available to people, and what do you think the benefits of doing that are?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, so clearly what we're focused on is uh, making the, – the the way to think about availability is is, is it there, and then it's also – do you know how to prepare it? Do you know how to eat it? So, you know, the main way that we're focused with the technology we're bringing is to make things fit into people's lives better, which is a way of increasing availability and productivity. Um, you know, we're lucky in the United States that most places uh, produce is available. Whether people want to choose to eat it or not is, is another question. Now, there are places where, you know, I think there are there are challenges of getting food into certain areas. And lots of opportunity for um, for that to happen better um, but from a productivity perspective I, I mean our produce industry does a pretty uh, amazing job of providing fresh fruits and vegetables year round
0: that's true the thing uh that holds like, for some people back is just the affordability as well. And, and it is fresh food uh, available in the stores in their neighborhood. And it is something that they can afford. So I think there's a number of programs that are looking at that side of the accessibility, but as we produce more produce. I, agree.
1: I mean, I, I think that affordability is a, is a multi-sided question. I mean, I think if you really think about it, produce is not that expensive. It, it does. Um, it's other things that have become expensive that create a problem for people to buy buy produce. But you know, it's not uh, you can buy buy some fresh tomatoes for a lot cheaper than you can buy a, your Starbucks coffee or uh, you know some of these prepared things. So it's not the costs. Now we have a different perception of cost because of their shelf life and things like that. But really, the, the produce is um, is not that expensive it's as much a matter of from an availability perspective as knowing what to do it when you do with it, when you buy it and and how to prepare it and have it again fit into your life. There's too frequently that we you know why is there a lot of waste in produce? a lot of it is in our own refrigerators when we put it in the refrigerator and forget about it rather than prepare it.
0: We had talked before about a project that you're looking at about looking at the recommended plate, and if people actually ate what is recommended from a nutrition point of view. That would result in a reduction of carbon, and I know that's not a project that's finished. But can you talk a little bit about what you're looking at and how you're thinking about that?
1: Yeah, this is one of these these things that um, seems kind of should be kind of simple when you start into it, but it's actually pretty complicated. But you know, <laughs>
0: measuring anything is kind of complicated, right? <laughs> and,
1: you know, how can we figure this out? But there's multiple dimensions to how the plate doesn't quite match what it is that we should eat. It's it's become a lot bigger over the years so you know part of the challenge with with food is that we're eating more than we used to and really more than we should compared to the recommendations of USDA anyway and then the makeup of the plate has always been wrong it's always been less much far less fruit fresh fruits and vegetables and an overabundance of protein especially animal protein relative to how the plate is made up so we're looking at both dimensions of that and obviously you know just making fruit and vegetables more appealing won't be the only driver to to that plate, but it's it is a pretty significant amount of of carbon that one can att- attribute to both overeating and eating the wrong um, amounts of stuff, so yeah we're working through trying to figure that out and be you know honest about the piece of that and If there's somebody out there who's actually figured it out already, I'd love to hear the answer because I think it's a it's a meaningful one and gives a good direction for what we need to work for.
0: So, is it something that you're going to publish after you look through it, and, and we'll, you'll talk about it?
1: Yeah, I think if we get it together in a way that it's certainly peer reviewable, we'd we publish. We'll, we'll bring the numbers together, and uh, it's in progress. And I haven't seen the results yet, so we'll see if it's publishable. I think we'd certainly publish it. It's not something that it's not, not something we benefit obviously by keeping it to ourselves. It's something that the whole should right, right. know about.
0: When you talk about your products that you're working on, you always lead with flavor and convenience and creating a superior product. And the breeding method that you use is gene editing. You certainly don't hide that fact. You're very upfront about it. What has been consumer reaction to gene editing? And what do you think we need to do about transparency and communicating with consumers around using that methodology?
1: Yeah, so starting with the end, I think being transparent is really important, and not trying to pull anything over on anybody is important. So I think it's important to communicate, um, but one one also needs to communicate to people where they are, and not you know try to turn them into PhD breeders. So we need to you know communicate what we're really doing and and why, and um, you know the other side of that is the products need to be great, and if you create great products, then you solve a problem for a consumer. Then they understand why you're using the technology because it's helped solve the solve that problem. Now, ask yes, broadly what we've been experienced with consumers. Um, you know, we started by doing the types of surveys that everybody does, and you get the same results that everybody does. It's interesting. Almost any technology. About thirty percent of people are excited about the technology, and twenty percent of the people just don't like anything new. And then there's this fifty the the move the whole, what we like to call the movable middle that you know, hopefully in this case would move towards favoring the technology because they love the products as we've gone out. And I think you got to to experience this last weekend, it was gone out and we've been, you know, using this year as we prepare to launch our first product to get real consumer feedback on the product that we're launching and we're working on a, a new, a new type of salad, a new type of leafy green for salads. And, um, we've had a couple of now events at fairs where we've given a lot of consumers, um, salads. We've had really positive reactions to the salads and very little negative reaction to the technology. And, and you, you visited our, our booth at the in Palo Alto this last weekend. And I think you saw there's a sign right there that says gene editing where they're talking to people that want, want to know about it. And there are a few people who, Turn away and they're, they're frightened by the technology, but the vast majority are more excited about it than, uh, than scared.
0: Yeah, I went to the, uh, the Palo Alto Arts Fair, and you had a booth there, and it was the signage was beautiful, and it was colorful, and uh, there was a very long line. And I, I went up to the front, and you know, don't you know who I am? But uh, <laughs> you know, I stood in line. I stood in line so I could talk to people and just hear uh, all the conversations. But uh, it was great to see people engage, especially here in Palo Alto, where there's such a buzz about technology. Everybody loves technology, and loves Lots of technology was birthed here, but people are very funny about food. And so there's this bifurcation of like, I want my electric car, but don't mess with my food. I want it to be organic and I want to know the person who picked it. And so I really love seeing the two of those things come together right there and on University Avenue in Palo Alto where people were standing there. Tasting this amazing food and engaging in the conversation about the technology and and everything I heard and the people that I interacted with, it was all very positive. That's anecdotal. But it was um, it was exciting to see people like you said, if you give them flavor, you give them convenience, you give them something they really like then and you're transparent about the technology. Then it's all upside. There, there, shouldn't people want new things, and especially around salad greens. Everyone's quite excited about that.
1: That's that's certainly what we've we've based our business plan on. Is that that uh, ultimately it's the product that people are going to focus on, and not the technology. And I think that's uh, you know events like we've had have really supported that.
0: Have you gotten, I know you, you do a survey, and have you gotten results back from some of the other places? And what a, just high level, what is the, a bigger slice of the consumer uh, reaction then?
1: Well, from the, these events that we've done, if that's to just to talk specifically, I think we had, at, uh, we did a, an event in Seattle, and we had 1,600 people that tried our salads, about half of them. Filled out surveys, and 90% of the people who filled out the surveys um, were uh, very favorable towards that they would buy the product. So, really, really good score on that kind of thing. And most of the others were in that maybe category. There were only a few that were, nah, I'm not going to buy this. And I think we did some counting just of people who said, no, I don't want to try this even because of the gene editing. I think. Maybe ten people out of sixteen hundred that that walked that just decided not to not to try it even so very small, and I we don't have all the numbers in from Palo Alto, but it was pretty similar there,
0: yeah, I wonder if there'll be much regional variance. I wouldn't think so i, 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 think, I
1: yeah, well what I've seen looks pretty much exactly the same I think the the thing that was different is we didn't have to tell anyone in Palo Alto what CRISPR is
0: <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> It's very near, very near the home of CRISPR. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. What are some examples of how gene editing can help with innovation and how will gene editing and advanced breeding techniques help us deal with things like climate change?
1: Yeah, there's a, I mean, there are a lot of challenges in our food supply and agriculture and whether it's gene, gene editing and other new breeding technologies or conventional breeding you know a lot of how productive things are begins with genetics and what gene editing gives us is a way to to move genetics faster than we were moving it before to the to very similar endpoints but it, it can be moved a lot faster so you know if we start thinking about some of the broader you know climate change kind of has two sides there's the the things that we're doing now to cause climate problems and those the things we need to do to adapt to the changes that are happening in problems and i think gene editing can help Gene editing can have an impact on both sides of that. So, you know, we're working with um, with Bayer now on some of the big acre crops to um, make them more productive and and use less input so that you can, you know, produce more with less of some of the, the big grain crops that are used for so many things. And I think gene editing has the potential. It's basically accelerating breeding again and bringing some traits together faster using gene editing. It has the potential to do that. and many different um, parts of agriculture where where genetics is involved then on the other side of it you know one of the products that we have our our sites on but it's a longer term site is to change the stone fruit industry and we want to make two 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 changes one is we'd like to make stone fruit without stone so we started off with the concept of a pitless cherry so sort of a big change in the stone fruit but then beyond that, stone fruit tend to have fairly specific climates that they can be grown in. And, you know, for instance, cherries, almost all of our cherries are grown in eastern Washington. Nice, where the weather is right and it doesn't rain in the summer. So the, whenever it rains, the cherries crack and it ruins the whole crop. So we, uh, but what we want to do is is change the architecture of the tree so it's much more like a bush, which would allow it to be grown in other places. And that's, you know, not only does it Help you expand the geographies where you can grow. It helps protect against climate change because as we have warmer winters, not every year gets cold enough for the cherries to uh, to produce cherries. So there's a big risk. So being able to change that, so cooling the cold the cold hours aren't as necessary, and to be able to put them in different conditions where they'll flower and produce uh, where water is available. Um, I think will give us a lot a lot of opportunities to protect the food supply. There are lots of different things to do. I, I could go on.
0: This season, we're focusing on nutrition and the role that produce plays. Thank you to our sponsor, Conscious Foods from Pearwise. Driven by the belief that healthy foods should be consistently fresh, delicious, and convenient, Conscious Foods is a flagship brand under Pearwise, a mission-driven company that is building a healthier world through better fruits and vegetables. Pairwise uses gene editing to accelerate innovations in consumer foods with a focus on produce. To find out more, go to consciousfoods.net or pairwise.com. That's really exciting. I actually did my thesis work on cherries uh, at at Davis and there's a lot of cherries here grown in the Central Valley, but as water becomes more of a problem and, and some of the climate issues, it's it's going to hurt the industry. So I, I love that, that we're looking at what what else can we do. When you look at breeding techniques, um, I'm going to go down a science rabbit hole here. Sorry, folks. <laughs> what, how, what amount of time are you cutting off? I know it takes a while to grow the trees, and that's that's one thing. But that beginning, getting to the point of like the first – Seed uh, or the first tree, how much does gene editing, how much time does gene editing cut off of that
1: period? And obviously the answer is complicated because you know, different, different components to it. But in terms of, um, you know, there's a lot of different things that we can do with gene editing that can change the timing. So, with we're, we've got a project to make a seedless blackberry and we also want to change the flowering of blackberries. how in nature, blackberries. Um, normally, don't flower until the second year, right? It's, uh, and almost all trees, all, all bushes and trees are like that. It's the old wood. Well, there are some tweaks we can do to the the things that tell plants to make flowers that make them so they'll flower in the first year. So, um, right there, you take a year off production. In fact, we've made blackberry bushes that can that go from seed to berry in three months. Um, so can really change that timing. Now, there's things that we still need to do to those plants to make them as productive as the ones that would take 18 months from a uh, science perspective, these kind of changes. So the idea of being able to, I think with cherries, it's a few years after you plant a tree before you start harvesting cherries and to be able to take that juvenility, shorten that juvenility period. um, And that not only does it increase the speed to get to production, it also changes the way you develop new varieties, as you know today when a new cherry variety is going to take twenty years of breeding, if we can shorten the time the time to get seed and be able to cross through more cycles faster, we can obviously bring a lot more genetics forward faster even through traditional breeding just using this tool
0: even for breeders when I was in school it was if a breeder they would get one new variety out that that was all your life's work could really be you know because it takes 20 years and and so even for breeders to have you know multiple cycles that's exciting <laughs> so
1: well, i think the number one cherry grown in the u.s is still the bing cherry there's new varieties that are sort of in that category but it's still the bing cherry and that was bred in the 1880s i think let's
0: switch and talk about pairwise a little bit more so it, Tell us where you are playing in the supply chain. You produce seed. Uh, Will you scale up the the seed to bulk? Will you do that yourselves? And you're growing, my understanding, you're using contract growers now for what you're growing. But tell us about how you are working through the supply chain to get product to market as you move that direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, our our general idea is we want as a company to be really good at the front and the end of the, the, the at the two ends of the supply chain i guess creating really unique genetics and then differentiating through marketing and and you know using some of the, the value to really help to market produce which hasn't been done that much to the consumer and then in between you know as you said in seed production there are um there are partners we can work with that that um work as contractors that you know, we have to have a lot of expertise in it, but they can provide a lot of the the support to produce seed and store the seed and then in um you know in the middle of the supply chain you know it varies a lot with crop um, but in general, a lot of produce business has these the the packer shipper is kind of the center of of everything and um and they have grower relationships to produce for the packer shipper so uh you know in general that's our focus is to partner with the packer shipper and use them in a co-manufacturing capacity to to produce the product and then we'll brand it as our own brand. I think you're aware our our food brand is Conscious Foods and we'll be launching talent under Conscious Greens um, next year.
0: So that's an expensive part of the process. I mean, all pieces are expensive and take a lot of work, but, but developing your own brand, why would you decide to brand it yourself instead of, Allowing someone else to take it to market under their already known brand. What was the thinking there?
1: Well, you know, the produce, produce the value. Um, I mean, there's a couple of different angles to this, and part of that is there. I mean, an awful lot of the value is at the consumer level, not at the seed level, and um, it's pretty challenging to make the investments that we're making as just a seed company. So, I think you know, just from an investable perspective, it was important to be there. But then, you know, the other piece is that we, you know, our model here is we're going to make truly differentiated produce that fits a need for consumers. And we really want to build a brand that stands for that. And that, um, you know, we've been talking to consumers and we ask them what they're looking for a brand and creating this purpose-driven brand is about feeding people and feeding, you know, more nutritious diets is an opportunity that we think can really help to, to drive the whole business farther. So I think there's sort of, you know, both the economic and the emotional side to where creating our own brand can drive the business.
0: That makes sense. And how do you think you'll support it? Will you do consumer advertising or in-store advertising? What, what kind of, um,
1: pull through? Yeah, we'll do, do, um, all of the above, um, to some extent, I think the, um, you know, overall, um, the, the, um, you know when we get to the launch, we'll be doing sampling events and we'll use social media influencers and you know and that that type of thing as modern advertising has been designing and you know evolving to do um, These events that we've been doing are are in order to you know start to get a little bit of buzz, and the more the closer we get to the launch, we'll do more of that sort of thing.
0: What products are coming to market first, and then what's the second wave after that? Talk to us about your pipeline.
1: So the first products are going to be these the leafy greens that we've that you got to eat. So um, uh-huh. you know, we uh,
0: very very tasty.
1: <laughs> and it, it it was a product concept that took a little bit of time to evolve, but our our it was something we started originally just because we thought it was a fast way to show we could do something. And then once we started to understand salads a little bit more, we started to realize that we have all this conversation about nutrition and salads. And we want to eat kale, but almost nobody's eating very much kale. Instead, they're eating these crunchy romains and icebergs, which don't carry a lot of nutritious value. And um, one of our scientists recognized that in the same family as kale, there's a whole lot of other leafy greens that have more lettuce-like properties in terms of their leaf structure and feel. And those are the the mustard greens. The challenge is you eat them, and they don't – they a few I enjoy a little bit of them because they give a little bit of spice and I like spice, but I wouldn't eat a whole bowlful of, of fresh uh, mustard greens and be pretty raw. So um, you know, we've looked at how where does that pungency come from and it's actually a pretty simple biochemistry. So we just um use gene editing to remove the, the pathway that caused the pungent flavor. It maintains all the other nutritional qualities. So it's now a very nutritious green and we're gonna launch salads as uh, as um Leafy blends next year, and then the year after we'll be launching um, kits so beginning to get into the sort of design design salad kit category so you know the things that provide all your all your components um, the um, so those will be the first products and we'll be building on that obviously over time. Um, we've got some new varieties coming coming forward and varieties that we're um, adding some more properties that make them even better. Um, after that, the next product I mentioned, the seedless blackberries. So we um, started uh, started working on those a couple of years ago, and there are a couple of years um, to go. Each one of these new crops, the big challenge is you have to first develop a system for doing the editing. The editing itself tools work everywhere, but you have to create a, a system that can regenerate plants that have edits in them. So we spent a couple of years getting that going, and that's going pretty well now. So we're expecting probably in – later part of the decade, 25, 26, um, to be able to launch a blackberry that doesn't have seeds. Um, and we expect that. We've got a partner in California, Plant Sciences, that has bred some new blackberry varieties. And I think you probably actually got to eat some of these blackberries that are the unedited version of them. Really, really tasty blackberry that um, that they, that came out of their program. And we're using that as the the beginning for developing this, um, this seedless blackberry. After that, we actually that caneberry space is is interesting. There's a native berry to um, the United States called a black raspberry um, that you don't really see because they're not they're pretty much weeds. Um, so we've been breeding with plant sciences. We've been breeding them to try to remove some of the weediness, and then we're editing the properties, including seedlessness, into them. And it's a really beautiful tasting. Um, it doesn't taste like a raspberry or blackberry; it has its own flavor. And, uh, it has, a uh, really high anthocyanin. It's like, uh, um, I think it's about five times the anthocyanin of a, of a, uh, blueberry. So really high in that sort of superfood category. And then we'll follow with raspberry. And then I mentioned the, the cherry and stone fruit. And then we have a number of other things that we're doing in proof of concept where we're sort of both trying out the whether we can do it through editing and, um, whether it's, um, something that consumers would really, um, benefit from, um, that will be coming on and, and mixed in with that.
0: So there's a lot of amazing science uh, going on, and I've, I've visited um, your labs and, and know some of the scientists. But how many people do you have on the science side that are working on this?
1: On the science side, I, the company now is around 140 people, and we wow. have about a hundred that are doing uh, that are in technology. Um, that's a the, they're split. That that hundred are split between working on in our relationship with Bayer developing the the row crops and then then developing our consumer crops. So it's a pretty good-sized team with a, a lot of very talented people that are very driven by the mission.
0: So wrapping up here, what are three things you want us to know about Pairwise?
1: Yeah, I think uh, that's a that's always a great question that, that you got me with that one. So three things, not just one. Right? So I think, <laughs> and, yeah, and not ten. <laughs> and and probably a couple of them, or at least, are things that we've already talked about. But first of all, we've got a we really are committed to to the mission that, to make a healthier world with making fruits and vegetables more available to people. And this is something from every employee in Pairwise is really excited about and and working to do. Second, um, you know one of the things I like people to know is we're not just a CRISPR company, so um, while we're using gene editing to to drive things, it's really about genetics and the use of and the fact that you know the underlying genetics determines the outcome of of you know whether it's controlled environment production or or um, areas growing in 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 california it's it, the genetics that's going to determine the outcomes and we have a lot of tools available to really address those problems and understand how to, how to improve them. And, and CRISPR is just one of many tools to improve them. Then, uh, um, uh, so a third thing, I guess, uh, you know, we're, we are, uh, um, we're going to change produce. I think that's, that's probably the, the one, the one and most important thing is at the end of the day, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we're going go to go into produce and we're going to see branded produce that, that, uh, is uh, that customers or consumers are enjoying and really taking away more problems? And we're going to make it so not 10% of people who eat it recommend daily amounts of fruits and vegetables, but yeah, you know, let's get to 20 or 30 anyway.
0: Yeah, I love that messaging that I hear from everyone throughout all of Pearwise is really focusing on making produce more interesting for people because it tastes better, because it looks better, because it's more nutritious, because it's more convenient and, and really going after it that way and uh, pushing that forward. And I, I love that. That's great for the industry. And we look forward to seeing wonderful products coming from you.
1: Thanks, Nadia. Appreciate all the support you've given us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love what you guys are doing. If people want to get in touch with Pairwise or find out more information, um, where should they go?
1: Pairwise website is pairwise.com. And we also have now a Conscious Foods website, which is consciousfoods.net. And either of those will have more information and contact information for the company. Um, We're also on um, Twitter and Instagram and Um, you know, all the usual places.
0: Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. You've been listening to Fresh Takes on Tech, a podcast from the International Fresh Produce Association. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep delivering the latest on produce technology. Thank you for listening. Until next time.